Hello, welcome to the Claim the Stage podcast. I'm Angela Lucier. I am your host. I'm also an author, speaker, and the CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. If you haven't checked us out yet, now would be the time because we are growing like crazy and we are helping so many women to find their voice, build confidence, and connect with a really, really cool community of other women doing this work. You can check us out at speakersisterhood.com. All right, the Claim the Stage podcast is all about public speaking for women. We help women to discover, awaken, and create their voice through the art of public speaking. And I interview all kinds of cool guests who help you to do that. And today's show is no different. I am interviewing Julia Mines, who is a TED speaker coach, and she has helped tons of speakers to enhance and transform their talk. So when they got to the TED stage, they had a memorable and captivating message to share, also known as an idea worth spreading. Now, I did two TEDx talks. If you haven't watched them, you might want to check them out. The first one I did in 2010 in Washington, D.C. I It was called Reinventing Work. And in that talk, I do a cartwheel. <laughs> I might be the only person who's ever done a cartwheel on the TED stage. We'll have to verify that, but I've never seen it done by anybody else. So you can check that out. Just Google my name, Reinventing Work, TEDx, Penn Quarter. And I did that talk when I was like... I think I was 29 and I was freaked out. I could not even believe I was invited to go give that talk in the first place. And it was a shorter talk. I think it was six minutes. And it's almost like filling six minutes is harder than filling 18 minutes because you really have to think about the content and what you're going to share. So I shared a really pivotal moment with the with the audience that resonated with them. And I remember after the talk, so many people in the audience coming up to me and saying, wow, my boss said that to me too. And here's what I did about it. So it was really cool to have the opportunity to share that moment in my life with that audience. And then hear, you know, that it resonated. I did my second TEDx talk in 2015 in Springfield, Mass. And it's called Becoming Who You Are. And that was a 17 or 18 minute talk. And I used slides in that one. That one was really fun to put together. It's where I share this process I created called the creator cycle. And it helps you to move through the difficult parts of making things so that you can make make mistakes, get information, and keep moving to get to the thing that you are meant to make. So you can check that one out too. You can Google my name, Becoming Who You Are, TEDx. I loved doing my TED Talks. There are videos I have on my website today. They've helped me in so many ways for networking and credibility and experience. And they're a wonderful thing if you are a speaker. So I hope that you are, you know, aiming to do one at some point. And I think today's conversation with Julia will give you some good insight and tips to get started with that. So without further ado, my interview with Julia Mines, TED Speaker Coach. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the Claim the Stage podcast. So excited for today's episode, our post-Thanksgiving episode. I hope everyone is awake (laughs) after eating all the turkey dinners and all the great things that you've been doing over the weekend with your friends and family. I have a very special guest with us today. Julia Mines is here to talk about how to craft a stage-ready TEDx talk. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about her before we jump into our interview. Uh, Julia likes to say she has a checkered past and an eclectic present. That is like my, probably one of my favorite opening lines of a bio ever. (laughs) 
<laughs> a path that makes her uniquely qualified both to coach leaders in business and to help them with their communications and leadership presence. Part of that work includes helping thought leaders prepare their TEDx talks. And we're going to learn more about her and all the stuff she does in today's interview. So hello, Julia. Welcome to the Claim the Stage podcast. Hi, Angela. I'm so happy to be here. Me too. I'm glad we get to talk about this. I've heard such great things about your coaching skills and all the women you helped at TEDx Women East Hampton uh, recently, oh. just a couple of weeks ago. And um, just, you. you know, the amazing work that came out of there. I also want to say hi to everyone who's watching on Facebook Live. If you have any questions for Julia, you can post them in the comments and I'll make sure to ask them before the interview is over. So Julia, before we jump into all the great things you're doing for speakers, tell us, how did you get into this type of work and what is your checkered past and eclectic person? <laughs> I, I've been a writer my whole adult life on two sides of the writing equation. I've been both a professional writer, I've worked in the publishing industry, I've worked in radio. And then personally, I'm also, I'm working on a book. And I am a storyteller. I compete in story slams. So it's a, a personal love of mine. And I'm really happiest when I'm, I'm dealing with words and dealing with people who use words. I like to say that after a really great conversation, people should perhaps have to dab their mouth with a napkin or floss their teeth because the words are coming so fast and furious that some of them get stuck on the way out right in our teeth. And it's like, no, that isn't a poppy seed between my teeth. That's actually a period. So, <laughs> there you go. Awesome. <laughs> I love words. I've never heard it explained that way, but I absolutely love that. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, and I love food and I love words, so I love that you're combining those two things like that. <laughs> they should be delicious. They should absolutely be delicious, yeah. Do you have a favorite word? <clears throat> and what does it taste like? <laughs> oh, excellent question. I don't know the answer to that yet. Let me think about that. I'll get back to you. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> All right, so we're going to talk about TED Talks here today. Before we talk about what that is, do you want to tell us what TED stands for and what a TED Talk is? Yeah, great question. So TED is not a person. It's not a guy named TED. TED stands for Technology, Education, and Design. And originally when, the, when TED Talks started in the 80s, maybe 1985, those, that's what the talks converged around, those issues. But now they involve business, health stuff. Talks range across the board on every subject now. Okay, and their tagline is ideas worth spreading. What does that actually mean? An idea worth spreading to Ted is a new idea or a fresh take on an old idea. It could also be a personal invention and it could also be a new solution to an old problem. So you don't have to be a researcher who discovered the most original thing on the planet but you do have to tell the story in a new way, a fresh way. Yeah. So is there a particular structure that TED Talks take that, you know, speakers should be thinking about in order to qualify or to build something that people would want to be, would get excited about? Yeah. It's almost 
frumpy. The structure for a TED Talk is almost frumpy in that it, it has a headline, a really unsexy headline. I'm going to give you some examples. Yeah, I like this frumpiness. <laughs> but that's what makes them really exceptional, really direct. So the titles say exactly what you're going to get in the talk. Simon Sinek said his title was How Great Leaders Inspire Action. There's no mystery there. Sometimes people, when they're working on their talks, they either like to create a poetic title and we don't really know what we're going to see when they give their talk or they bury the lead, which is a term from journalism. They, they wait till like the third paragraph to tell us what this talk is about. Um, and they think, oh, I'll be mysterious and this will lure people in. But in fact, it doesn't lure people in. It kind of has people glaze over. But, yeah. Is there a trick for finding the, the most important and exciting piece of the work in order to title it correctly? Because I think sometimes we get so close to the work that we can't yes. even really see the lead, <laughs> right? It's a that's a really great point. We are so close to it. There are ways to come sideways to our stories. And the other way to find our stories is to talk to people. We, we are so close to it. Sometimes we don't recognize we have an amazing story. Can I give you an example? Yeah. And then actually I want to come back to some other titles. We can go back to the structure of a talk. You okay with that? Yeah. Okay. So I was working with a woman who had a really rare form of breast cancer and she was going to deliver a talk about that. And by the time I came on the scene to do some coaching, it was the week before the TED Talk was going to go live. And she came to rehearsal with three wigs that she wore during chemo. And I watched her give her talk. And afterwards, I spoke to her and I said, I don't think this is the story you're meant to tell. We've all known people who've gone through chemo. And we've all seen the wigs. And even though that's poignant and actually awful for us and our loved ones and the person who has cancer, that isn't, that isn't the big story to share here. And so I, I asked her many more questions and we dug much deeper. And talk about the T in TED, which is for technology. She had some surgery that allowed her to have full, real, breasts at the end of a double mastectomy so that they had feeling in them. So she came from a family with three generations of breast cancer. Seven relatives had it, including one uncle. That's a pretty important fact that wasn't in the story she created. And another interesting fact was that we were talking off the cuff and she said, yeah, I had these real breasts. They had feeling, but they were like Barbie. They had no nipples. I'm like, you must get that into this talk. So she did. Yeah. How do you know what needs to, what part of the story needs to be in there versus other parts? Is it like an intuitive hit or is it, are you working off of some sort of template in order to know what needs to stay and what needs to go? Yeah. Well, 
let me give you the structure. I feel like I'm taking us all over the place today. I'm sorry. I just, no, all great. right. So um, in a TED talk, three quarters of it is actually story. However, because they're ideas worth spreading, about 25% or 15% is data, facts, evidence to support these stories. And the reason we use stories to tell a TED talk is because we think in stories, we dream in stories. If we want to prove a point, we tell a story. So you're asking how to get to the story. So 15, many drifts. Yeah. Yeah. 15 to 25% of your TED talk is data. That's what you said. Mm -hmm. Okay. And how do you decide what stays and what goes? Cause that's such a small percentage. It would seem like you would need to cut out like, yeah, 80% of your content. <laughs> right. Well, what, how are you defining content? Well, content is uh, the actual information and research and like data points and like action steps, stuff like that. Right. TED Talks don't ne necessarily have action points. They could, but more important is to connect with the audience and stories do that. So data points don't actually take very long to present, but how are we gonna take that data and make it interesting? And the way to make it interesting is to tell a story. So how do we get to those stories? I like to ask people how they came to this work. What originally inspired and lit someone up about this work? That could be one source for stories. Uh, another source is make a timeline of your life, make a river of your life and write down all the stories that immediately come to mind, pivotal moments. And then see how those pivotal moments hook up with the data and connect the dots for us. And that would make a compelling TED Talk. I love that idea of a river. I just visualized a whole flowing river and putting all kinds of ideas and stories and moments along it. That's, that's a more exciting way of kind of profiling years and years of experiences. So yeah. in telling stories, how important is it that you use slides and where do slides play into all of this? Great question. People ask me that all the time. Slides don't even have to be part of a TED Talk. And if they are used, they should have minimal words. They should be great graphics. And you either have to create the graphics, get someone else to create the graphics, you, because everything gets run by compliance to make sure that these aren't owned by someone else. So create great slides with images, but mostly five slides, six slides. If you're Chris Hadfield and you're an astronaut and you're in space, that would be a reason to have a lot of slides because you want to show us pictures of what space looks like and the earth looks like. But most of us, a story actually is more powerful than a picture. In radio, we used to say that uh, the story actually is more powerful than a picture. Once Somebody shows us a picture of something, it takes us out of our own imagination and we fill in, the brain fills in 
where there's an absence of information. So tell us a good story and we will have that picture in our mind. Yeah, that makes me think when people say the book was better than the movie, right? Like you've created your own visuals just by reading. Absolutely. It's the same exact principle. So I have a question because I talk to speakers all the time who say my story isn't interesting. I have nothing to say that's different, especially like I don't have an idea worth spreading. I'm just doing the work that I was trained to do. Mm -hmm. And so what makes me special? So if I were to come to you and say I wanted to give a TED talk, what kind of pep talk would you give me or what would you say to help me identify that my words do matter? Well, all right, this is going to sound a little crass, but on the one hand, I'm kind of a story whisperer. It's like, I'm going to find the stories. And sometimes I say, I'm like a large animal vet. I get my arm way up in there and I'm going to pull out the breach stories. They're coming out. They're getting birthed. We're going to find them. You know, if somebody has the impulse to get on his or her feet, I want to know where that impulse comes from. And I'll bet that that leads us down the path to interesting stories. You know, sometimes we think we don't have interesting stories because we think we're supposed to tell the stories that other people expect of us. Those are not the interesting stories. The interesting stories are what makes us vulnerable, how we failed, what's uncomfortable, when we weren't sure about something. Those things make really compelling stories. So being willing to go there in the first place would help you to discover that those moments exist. And actually, this reminds me of talking to like a three-year-old child where they ask a question like, why are we eating this for dinner? Because that's what we're eating for dinner. But why? But why? Yeah. Going deeper and deeper. And Absolutely. Deeper. You're like, because we're on a planet floating through space. I don't that's, know. <laughs> that's right. That is right. That's actually right. Open so, end. Yeah. Yeah, it's a process of going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper than you think you could even go in order yes. to uncover things that are there that are the interesting part and they're yes. bigger than you think they are. So I think that's the challenge here is to get speakers thinking about like, yeah, what's at the core of all these things I do and maybe there's a connection there. Mm -hmm. Is there a big mistake you see TEDx speakers make? There are different kinds of mistakes people can make uh, in TEDx and one of them is that they don't tell us their story. They tell somebody else's story. Lots of people actually hide in their talks. They don't go to the scary places in themselves or they don't think it's interesting enough. So that's one thing. Another is people need to memorize their scripts. They just do. Chris Anderson, who's the curator of TED, says that the best talks are the ones that are simply memorized word for word. People don't put in the rehearsal time. And unfortunately, TEDx is typically on a pretty grueling timeline. So they're not working with a lot of time to begin with. With a great TEDx, you'll have three months to prepare. With a less great TEDx, two months. 
and the one I just came off of, which was phenomenal, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm not placing a value judgment when I say great. They had, those speakers had four weeks to write, to rewrite dozens of times, to memorize their talks and then get up on the stage. So the last mistake that people make is when they're actually on the stage, they don't connect to the audience. It's really important, that's a piece of presence and it makes a speaker look confident and we believe them more and it's less distracting to the audience make contact and stop moving. Nervous people dance from the waist down. They are all over the stage. Stop moving, plant your feet. Okay, so besides memorization and not dancing on stage, is there anything else that speakers could be doing to, to better connect with their audience and with the, the cameras? Because it seems like when you're up there, there's a lot to be thinking about, you know, in addition to just making sure you look <laughs> presentable. <laughs> well, can you ask that one more time? Yeah, how can speakers connect with their audience beyond having their speech memorized and not dancing up there? Is there other things that they could be doing like energetically or that would just, I don't know, eye contact? Is there anything that like that you see that breaks that connection between the speaker and the audience? Yeah, honestly, it comes back to memorizing. When people don't memorize, they get on stage and they're more nervous. And so they're looking for the words in their head and they'll look up or look away and they, they cut off the connection. And that's when they dance too. I have a theory that people are dancing on stage because they're looking for the words. It's in their body somewhere. It's like the poppy seed in their teeth. It's like those words are in their body somewhere and they're going to find them. But if you just know this talk inside and out, you're not going to have that problem. And that's the best way to have confidence and connect. And by the way, the average main stage TED talk is rehearsed about 200 times. Wow. 200 so that's times. A, that's a good milestone. <laughs> it is. And if you have four weeks and you're not done writing your script for two of those weeks, you know, the chances of you working, rehearsing it 200 times is harder. So what I like to say is take all your sick leave now and nail that sucker. Cancel your trip to Cancun. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like, just get this done. If you hear you're going to give a talk, a TED talk, you want to, you want to invest, you want to commit. And the way to commit is to have that solid script up front and to really know it inside and out. Yeah. And actually, one of my favorite talks, she rehearsed it 600 times. Okay, so we have goals. We have goals here. We have goals. <laughs> We've got some goals. We've got some oh. goals to hit, yeah. Uh, we have lots of people watching on Facebook Live right now. If anyone has a question for Julia, please uh, write it in the comments and I'll be sure to ask it for you. I wanna ask what TEDx speakers can do to work on their onstage presence. Is it all about the memorizing and delivering or is there, are there other things that they should be doing? Because that really, after the fact, when the camera has you know, recorded the speech and now it's online, when the viewers are watching that talk, they're not just like listening to content they're paying attention to the speaker's presence. Are there things that they should be doing besides like not looking up and not dancing that like with their hands or with their facial expressions that could be helpful? 
if they know their peace, all that stuff really takes care of itself. It comes out from the inside. It's like your hands will become naturally expressive. There are some things like you can mark up your script in advance. So you've now memorized your piece. Go through your script and say, oh, here's a really good place to pause. In the pause silences, they're great on a stage. Know when to use them though. So mark up your script so you know where you're going. Decide, oh, this has to be emphasized. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so since you're constantly working with TED speakers and working as a speech coach, you probably watch a lot of TED Talks. What's the best TEDx or TED Talk you've ever seen and what did you like about it? Um, there isn't a best, but I have some that I really like and I have some speakers I really like. There's this one talk, it's so delightful. It's called, what is it called? The Hidden Power of Smiling. It's only seven minutes and 30 seconds. The average TED Talk is 18 minutes. And he has beautiful slides. It makes sense for his talk that he should have a lot of slides. And they move and they're animated. And he's a delight. Someone who can be playful up on that stage, that helps with presence, actually. Feel light going in. So he's a really light speaker. My other favorite talk, do we have time for this? Yeah. Is Jill Bolte-Taylor. She's a neuroanatomist with a great title, My Stroke of Insight. She had a stroke. She what? Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. She has a, a human brain delivered to her on the stage, which is amazing. She puts on gloves right in front of us. The audience is like queasy. It's really cool. Is there anything else a prospective TED speaker should be thinking about to make their talk successful? Yeah, let me think about this. If they're offered a chance to work with a coach, Many TEDs supply that, do that. But if they find that their coach isn't challenging them to go deeper, see if you can get a different coach or, or talk to people who you know in your life who maybe aren't your closest friends, who aren't your family, because they kind of want to protect you. Talk to people who don't know you as well and run it by them and see where they challenge you and what's unclear to them and what they want more of. How can people contact you if they're interested in working with you? They can reach out to me on, on my website or send me an email at julia at juliaminds.com. Great. So we've learned a lot today about TED Talks and how to do them correctly. Practice is key, right? That's number one, it's two to yes. 600 times and <laughs> and to dig deep for those stories and to know that those stories matter and that should be 80 to 90 percent of your talk right and then connecting the data points to them we do have a question on facebook um, from uh, my my buddy gayatri how do you know if slides are going to help or hurt your style of speaking and your message excellent question that it's a great 
It's not that it will hurt your style, it's that they could hurt your talk. The purpose for slides is to move the story forward. And if they're not moving your story forward, you don't need a slide there. Easy. So that's Easy. the question to ask yourself. Is this moving the story forward? Yes or yeah. no? And or, and or is it illustrating something that I can't create with words? Like the astronaut in space. What, what's that? What does that mean? Oh, sorry. Uh, Chris Hadfield, who was an ad, who's an astronaut who took lots of pictures from space. Those, those are good slides. They, they matter. We can't dream up what Earth looks like from space. So slide is really relevant. So if they're relevant and we can't describe it in words. Gotcha. All right, let's jump into the lightning round. We have six quick questions. The first question is, what's the number one piece of advice you have for women who want to be well-known speakers? that they have good stories and they actually keep track of those stories catalog them for yourself so that you can and know them so you can pull them out on a moment's notice don't lose your stories that's your goal do you have any tips for how to catalog them that you've used or that you recommend write them down in one place <laughs> keep them in one place they they are your currency as a speaker track them. They will come to you. They will come to you in the shower. They will come to you when you're driving your car. Make sure you get them down. Your job is to, to be like you have a butterfly net and you're going to capture them. Yes. The butterfly net. I love that. Okay. Number two, do you have a personal operating philosophy? And if so, what is it? I suppose I do. And it comes from a Rilke poem. And the line is, let me see if I can remember this. Let everything happen to you. Beauty and terror. No feeling is final. Just keep going. I love that. Number three, what advice would you give to your 25-year-old self? You will fail. It will hurt. But don't let that stop you from getting back in there with the thing you love. Find another way. Number four, what advice do you have for your 75-year-old self? And this too. And this too. Number five, if you had to pick one object to represent yourself, what would you pick? Okay. It may not officially be an object, but it is a semicolon and an open parenthesis, formerly known as an emoticon. I'm all about the winky emoticon because to me it says, I have your back. And I'm also a little bit cheeky, maybe you noticed. <laughs> Number six, what does it mean to you to claim the stage? To be present, to connect, to have great stories, to have courage, to plant your feet and let your body move from the waist up and move from the waist down if it moves the story forward. Yeah. And I want to get back to one of my first questions. Do you have a favorite word and what does it taste like? <laughs> um, maybe ampersand is my favorite word. You know, that end yeah. sign, that fancy pants end sign. Yeah. Um, it tastes a little like 
a cherry covered in chocolate. <laughs> there you go, Angela. There you go. I love it. Um, is there anything you'd like to share with our audience? Any um, upcoming events or offers or? I, I'm putting together a webinar on giving TED Talks. And so if people are interested in that, they should shoot me an email and I'll get them on my list and send them information about that. Okay, remind us of your email address. Julia at JuliaMines, M-I-N-E-S.com. Excellent. Well, Julia, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I really love talking with you about this subject. Oh, it's a topic so that comes up all the time. <laughs> so the more information we can get about it, the better. And there are constantly Great. new TEDx talks or um, you know, events popping up. So I'm sure there will be more people who are interested in doing this. Absolutely. So, any last words of advice or thoughts um, for our, our speakers listening today? No, but you're a delight, and I'm so grateful for this chance to hang out with you. Thank you. Thanks. It's great to hang out with you, too. And I'm going to be Thank thinking you. about those poppy seed periods. Yeah, just right in there, you know. Just okay. That's the sign of a good conversation. Yeah. I'll never think of it the same again. Quite the same. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Bye. All right, there you have it. If you have interest in learning more about Julia, make sure you do email her or go to her website at juliaminds.com. She is a wealth of information and from what I hear, very fun to work with. If you like today's episode, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. It takes just a minute and it helps so many people find the show. And, you know, we want more people to listen so we can have better speakers out there, right? Um... That does it for me today. I'm really excited about what 2018 is bringing. We have big plans for the show, and I'm excited to share all of that with you as we get closer to the beginning of the new year. All right. As always, you guys, stop waiting, start creating. I'll see you next time.